welcome to episode number 41 of the ETPHD team podcast. Today you have myself and you also have Georgia. Hi Georgia. Hello, how are you? How are you? I'm well, thank you, how are you? I am very good, thank you. I was just saying we've got such a switch up today. No Anna and no Louis and this is your first podcast that you've done with us. Are you psyched? I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, <You're> actually, <laughs> I know, you look excited though, not that anyone can see. But um, no, yeah, we're just saying how how nuts things have been. How have you been? Have you seen anything cool this week? Have you done anything exciting this week? Um, it's very hard coming up with things that you've done exciting in lockdown, let's be honest. It is. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, no, I've done a lot of yoga this week. That was very cool. And um, I've spoken to my family probably more this week than I have in any of the lockdowns. That's been quite nice. Um, well, you know. Yeah. About their supermarket trips. So it was kind of like hearing about <laughs> trips. <laughs> yeah, literally, no one has anything to say. It's like, so I bought this in the supermarket. Oh my God, I know. I can relate. Um, I am. Um, so I suppose a little industry rant. I had a little bit of an industry rant yesterday because I saw a post from someone that's basically said, women, it's okay to be to be fuller let's use that word it's okay to be in a larger body um it's sexy to be in a larger body by a, a male pt and i got i got sent it by somebody um, else in the industry and i got really 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 triggered by it i'm gonna put a post up yesterday about it because i was like i'm trying to i'm trying to at the moment i'm still quite sour as are you right from from everything that happened a few weeks ago starting on international women's day basically that weekend and since then so i'm still quite sour about it and i don't a sour is not the right word I'm still quite passionate about it and I don't want to just stop talking about it and then we've spoken on the podcast before about how quiet the industry's been like the industry just doesn't seem to have acknowledged it at all a lot and I think that's I think they really as a whole we've let ourselves down and I think I'm not picking on people but then yesterday or whenever it was the other day when I saw that post that was basically a man just telling a woman do you know what I still value your sexy in a bigger body I just lost I just just got the rage because my rage with it and the I think I don't think a lot of people see the problem with it in terms of like a male PT saying that's that's okay but to me it's like still saying a man it's still a man saying women I still value you because of not because of the shape of your body but I still value you despite the fact that your body's changing and it's like regardless Emma had a go at me because I wrote a post and it was heteronormative and she was absolutely right I couldn't figure out how now that was my uh, literacy skills but a man or a person we we shouldn't need and this is the real shame for all of us but we shouldn't need someone of the opposite sex or the same sex who wants to have sex with us um to validate our body and to like it's it's like it's just like still putting value onto someone's body and it got so much praise from from women saying, "Oh, you'll get you'll get loads after this and stuff like that, like comments like that." And it's just, I find it really hard to stomach because it's just so, it's really sexist, it's really misogynistic, but well intentioned. I'm sure this is not a criticism of the person who wrote the post. It's just, I find I'm finding it really hard to tolerate the sexism that and the internalized misogyny. There's a lot of internalized misogyny with those types of comments. That are like oh yes I needed to see this post and it's like why because your body is your body and you don't need to be validated by a person who doesn't even know you 
I don't know like did you did you see the post I didn't see the post no I should have I should have sent you it, it, it like <laughs> again again it's, <laughs> again it's not it's not a criticism of the person I think the point is is it highlights where we're at in the in the industry at the moment where we are still at a place where we still like it when male PTs tell us that our bodies look okay we still like it when male PTs tell us we're sexy if our bodies change in a certain way this isn't a personal situation it's like we need to get away from a fitness being about a certain body type because that's not what fitness is but be just finding the validation from other people because if we valid if we put so much emphasis on the validation of other people then when they criticize us whether it's them or someone else then that cuts us deep just as much you can't say I value, I value this person's opinion when it's good but when it's bad I'm just going to push it away because our, our brains don't work like that like and that could be with anything like it's not just about body shape but when we put so much value into someone else and someone else's words and opinions we set ourselves up for fail because not everyone is going to have a nice opinion of us and not that many people are going to have a nice opinion of us all the time and then we have to put up with the other side of it just got really riled does it make sense <laughs> It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes like when when it's a well-intentioned post or when it's, I'm, go- I'm going to be sexist and say like when it's a guy posting about women's bodies, if you can't reverse it and find it inoffensive, it's sexist. So if That's I posted... So do you know what, guys? It doesn't matter if your shape's changing because you've got a dad bod now and da-da-da. I still find you sexy. There'd be plenty of people that would find that offensive, quite rightly. Um, so much. That's how you know it's going to be sexist. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a post, but I didn't post this. And it said, um, to all the men in the world, because this is, how, this is exactly this post flipped, to all the men in the world, it's okay. It's sexy to have a small penis. I still find you att- attractive. And I'm not even going to read the last statement because it's probably not appropriate for a podcast. <laughs> but it's like, you're absolutely that. Like, you would never say that. And that like, it's like, do you know what it's like? It's like when you see, we've had this talk, talk a few times again, like about P- male PTs mansplaining periods. And I don't mean male PTs saying this is what a menstrual cycle is. I mean, for example, one of one I've seen is a man, a male PT saying, ladies, it's okay to get period pain. That's normal. I was like it's like right okay shall I just say guys it's okay to get kicked in the nuts it, the pain is totally normal I'm like absolutely not <laughs> that's a really good way to frame it like as in if you wouldn't say that with like flipped around the other way then it's probably sexist there's a lesson that you can tell every, every uh, personal trainer that you know male mm-hmm. male female Gen- gender neutral non-binary all of the all of the groups all encompassing yes um okay so we have I've got I've got quite a lot of questions so that's great um so let's get started um okay when you're on a diet how much does it impact your journey if you fall off track for one one or three days does it make a big difference to the overall process what do you think? Uh, no, it doesn't make a huge difference. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. you, 
you can be on a diet and then you know Christmas comes up or your birthday comes up or uh, a weekend away you're not going to be able to out eat your your calorie deficit um long term like you might be able to slow it down for a couple of days but no I think that comes maybe from a fear of um when people feel like they're going to undo all their good work yeah it's not really a thing (laughs) absolutely you're totally right though like looking at it logistically and saying right well to take yourself out of the full like we take it step back so we don't say like a daily say we look at like we look at energy expenditure and calorie check usually like as a fluid thing so say we're looking at weekly like you just said in order to push yourself out of maintenance and into enough of a surplus to gain body fat in one day across the whole week if you've been in a deficit the whole week you'd have to eat like thousands of calories in a surplus to even to even get yourself back up to maintenance for the whole week like yes you will gain weight but you would have like the amount of calories that you would have to eat to gain body fat to take yourself out of a deficit in one day would be, I mean, it depends on how big your deficit is, right? But it could be an extra three, maybe 4,000 calories on your diet macros for that day. Um, which is why, obviously we talk about this a lot, but it's why when you go off on your diet and say you eat a little bit over, why you haven't absolutely screwed it and you should just keep eating. Um, obviously we work on mindfulness to get out of that but if you look at the numbers it's like okay you can still be in a deficit if you eat 500 calories over you're still in a deficit for the week and 500 calories might seem like a lot but actually it's I mean it's a hell of a lot less than 4,000 calories that you'd have to eat to get yourself out of your deficit so I think that's I think that pragmatic approach is really helpful for sure and I think just remembering it's a long like it's a long-term thing so it depends on how long your diet is right not everyone diets for like a longer term some people diet for much short term but you yeah I think it's so easy when you fall when you're in that mentality think of it to think of things day by day and it's not how it, your body works like we just do it like day by day because that's when we're awake that's not how your body works and kind of thinking in two weeks will it matter that I've eaten 500 calories over my diet really not like really not so I think the pragmatic approach that you said is ultimately the best for sure. Um, Okay, do you have a question? I do. Uh, How to stop feeling guilty with eating a lot of food? So I think it's feeling guilty, um, specifically relating to like social events and weekends where they're around uh she's around a family and tends to kind of eat a lot more than usual yeah actually I think that falls in line with a question that I've got um what are some strategies that you found helpful to get past food guilt so that's excellent double team that one delightful um so how you approach this is going to be quite different if you're in a diet or not but I'm assuming I'm assuming at this point not I'm assuming it's just we're just working on relationships with food one uh, there's lots of like small strategies the first and the most important one is self-compassion self-compassion is the sound the airy fairy sound most sounding thing but it's one of it's the best thing to do when you overeat or when you eat more than you planned to eat um it's associated with things like reduced overeating reduced binge eating for example so when you allow yourself to eat off like eat something different or eat with family or you eat more than you planned just speaking to yourself like you would if you were a kid or someone that you love and say 
there's the three components of self-compassion are mindfulness, common humanity and self-kindness. And so saying to yourself, like, this is totally normal. It's completely normal to eat with family. That's a normal, healthy, happy human response. And actually that's healthier than not eating with your family a lot of the time. Um, speaking to yourself kindly. So saying like, you're allowed to do this and like, yeah, you're allowed to do this and it was delicious and you deserve this social time. And then mindfulness. So just be mindful of not only what you're eating, but also mindful of your thoughts. So often the food guilt comes afterwards, right? So say, for example, if you're with a family, your family, and then you eat dinner and then you have dessert and then you're all watching TV and then you feel guilty because you've had dessert and you're thinking about it whilst you're watching TV. That kind of seems to be the key time for, for the guilt. And sometimes I think it could be useful to say, we work on things like um, mindfulness of your thoughts. So when you hear the thoughts in your head, actively calling those thoughts out and saying, right, I'm thinking about food again, I'm going to come back to the present moment and I'm going to focus on what's on the TV or I'm going to do something that Anna always talks about. It's like a mindful moment. So um, if something is going on and, and your head is going off on one, you can say, right, I'm going to name something I smell, see, taste, touch, feel. I've missed one there. Here, touch and feel is the same. And here, basically your five senses, right? Um, I don't think there are six senses. But name, or do, by doing that, that's what we call like a mindful moment. And it brings you back to the present moment. And it can be really powerful when your head is running away with you. If it's something that happens regularly, sometimes you can say, right, I'm going to only allow myself say five minutes after every meal where I'm allowed to think about that food but after that five minutes I'm going to stop and it takes practice to be accountable to the thoughts in your head but once you get used to doing it that and obviously we've spoken about this a lot once you get used to kind of noticing those thoughts in your head and, and almost switching them off and coming back to the present moment and taking control over those then you stop obsessing about things so much so I think that's where I would go where would you go with it no, I think that sounds right. She's really early on in her um, in her journey and we're just beginning a little bit of work on self-compassion at the moment. So I think you hit the nail on the head, really. Yeah, so she's in the right hands for sure. Or he, I'm not sure, I'm just assuming. Um, the other thing too, and I know that you guys will work on this, is obviously food neutrality. Like, that's so important. You can find if you've been dieting for a long time or you've been restricting for a long time that you have good and bad foods and I know that you speak about this a lot on your social media but having um good and bad foods instantly leads to guilt when you eat the, the quote-unquote bad food so including these quote-unquote bad foods regularly in your diet and not just keeping them for these social occasions will make a big difference even though it feels really really counterintuitive um okay Is there a reason or an explanation as to why emotions can hide hunger cues? For example, when I'm overwhelmed and highly emotional, especially crying, I struggle to feel hunger. Is that a personal response or is there, for example, a hormonal explanation? That's the first part. Um, I will go on that first, just because something's coming to my head. But if you're really stressed, what's probably happening is, well, what will be happening is that your your body is undergoing a stress response. So your cortisol is up, your adrenaline, your epinephrine is up, that increases your heart rate, but it also redirects blood flow, um, which will impact your, like your desire to eat and your hunger, it's not necessarily your hunger hormones, but it redistributes your blood flow. So it's like when you're, it's like the fight or flight mode when you're stressed. 
so it's not just about when you're emotional but anytime when you feel um really triggered you you, you don't think about hunger in that moment because of the, st- the stress response that your body's going under so it's it's that but it's also the fact that you are so distracted by being upset and so distracted by crying that you're not thinking about hunger too and so even if you did have the physiological response in your belly you've probably got a stronger physiological response in that your heart hurts or you feel sick or you're crying so those things will be will predominate over the hunger so to speak um i'm going to continue on because the same person has asked um, another question within this i've just lost it why why can i not work technology okay if a body area is your if a body area is your fat storing area so shows visible muscle less easily do you have to work it more to get it equal or do you have to accept that it may be less visible for example many women tend to store more fat on their lower bodies should we train legs more often or would they have to be trained so much it might take more effort than expected okay so do you need to build more muscle or train a certain area if you store fat there like genetically okay so kind of like the ability to not necessarily spot reduce fat but would you expect to lose less from an area if you didn't train it yeah yeah and do or should you or should you um or do you have to do you have to train that area more to make the fat distribution almost more equal so to speak like is training that area more going to be helpful okay with the result to be more visible muscle is that right yes okay i'm just trying to make sure i've got that question right in my head <laughs> so yeah um, so, I think I think okay I think what she means is um like so let's go with the example of like storing body fat on your legs mm-hmm. as a woman that's genetic and it's hormonal you can't change where you store your body fat um, that's just the way that it is um training it more like training it more when we look at hypertrophy training more is not always more better for hypertrophy right there's there's obviously a dose response to a certain point and then when you start training more, you don't get added benefits and actually you get detrimental impact on your training and you recover less and then you don't um, get as optimal hypertrophy from that. So training more regardless is not going to be helpful regardless of what, regardless of body fat levels at different areas. So I would imagine, so I don't do this person's training, but um, I would imagine she's already optimized in terms of hypertrophy. So there's no point in doing any more because it's just going to impact recovery it the only way that you can like you said the only way that you can bring more muscle into that area is by is well you can't it's just by training it effectively and efficiently and that's kind of it really you can't really yeah more is not going to help yeah I think wherever you tend to store body fat if you're losing as an example like one percent body fat all over 
it's always going to look like you've got more body fat in that area because even though you've lost one percent you've lost one percent from everywhere and that area is still going to look proportional to how it was before it's very frustrating I understand frustration yeah Yeah. I thought everyone's different right mine was always like mine was always on my arms I used used to be so self-conscious about my arms like back in the day (laughs) I mean yeah um if only it was just always boobs that's very inter that's such internalized misogyny yet here we are It is a life goal. It often comes from the boobs. If I gain weight, it rarely goes back. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, they definitely disappeared when I dieted, and yet I've gained all that weight back and they're not <laughs> there. Like, where have it where has it gone? Yeah, no. That's, mm. that's annoying. So rude. Um, okay, do you have a question? Yes. Uh how to stop body checking or ways to learn to be nicer towards our body. So two two questions, I suppose, there. The -hmm. first one, do you know what? That's interesting. A lot of these questions are coming up are a lot about holding yourself accountable to your own actions. Mm -hmm. And one of the most compassionate things you can do, there's two sides of self-compassion. There's the kindness side and the rest when you need to rest side. And then there's a proactive, traditionally masculine side, which is like, um, what will my future self thank me for? Like, how can I be proactive here? And that, that is kind of, you can approach body checking just like that. You know, it's when it comes to body checking, you have to start saying, is this going to make me feel good? Potentially not. So why am I doing it? You have to become mindful of your actions again and mindful of your thoughts. So a good way to do it is is count how many times you body check in a day. So body check might be scale weight, it might be looking in the mirror, it might be taking a selfie, it might be looking at your belly rolls, whatever it is. And count how many times you do it in a day and tally it up, just keep a tally on your phone and then the next day or in a couple of days say right um, that's my maximum amount of body checking I'm allowed to do now so I'm going to count again today and if I get to say the number 20 if I get to 20 today and it's only 1 p.m then that's it I'm not allowed to do anymore because I promised myself I would reduce my number by however many and then you can keep kind of keep setting targets so every few days set a new target and say I want to be down to this much and then keep doing it keep doing it and that's something that I've done with quite a lot of my clients and, and find quite a lot of success with. They get, because you feel like you're achieving something because you've got a quantitative goal to hit. And also at the same time, you recognise actually you have the ability to stop yourself. So it feels really natural at the moment. It feels like you can't help but look at your belly when you sit down. And it feels like you can't help but look in the mirror. But you can, and you just need some sort of quantifiable measure to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like it's life-changing one of my I remember setting one of my clients a habit that was like a day without looking in the mirror because she body checked she felt that she body checked quite regularly and then like within we did that and then within like a few weeks she was like I haven't looked in the mirror for like three days except like brush my hair and it's quite instantaneous I think if you really focus on it and like tick those off so I think that's a really good habit to get into I like that that almost like gamifies it as well yeah we all like that (laughs) We just like things to tick off, don't we? Especially yeah. a lot of us who are perfectionists or and a lot of us who are perfectionists have funny relationships with food in some way. And so we like numbers and we like to be able to mark things off. And if we're not tracking, then it's a good alternative to like the tracking numbers. Exactly. Um, what was the second part of that? The second part was ways to learn to be nicer towards our body. I think that's 
um, she has mentioned a habit of like picking herself apart quite a lot physically. Um, so probably ways to flip that on its head. What, like, yeah, what do you think? Before I just go off and Um. Well, I think it's a good time to put into practice some of the self-compassion um, work that, that we've been doing and try and call yourself out on it when it's happening. So take that moment when you know you hear that little voice in your head saying whatever it is that you're going to say about the way that you look and just take a breath mm. and decide, well, is this um, helpful? Is this a fact or is this just something that I feel about myself? Um, and what can I do or say instead that is going to be more positive? Just to remove yourself a little bit from, like take a step back from that moment and be a bit more objective rather than feeling all these negative thoughts that you're allowing to kind of crowd into your mind at that point yeah so much like that's pretty much what I would say and a lot it's like breathe is this thought or is this fact and is this thought helpful and then speak to yourself kindly like they are fundamentals that again they take practice a lot of practice but once you get into them there's um I'm going to just read something that uh, just kind of expanded on what you've just said mm -hmm. um but there's like re when you reappraise like reappraisal is part of like part of cbt sometimes and it's like a cognitive restructuring but it's exactly like what you said and I, i'm reading it from my instagram because i've put a post about this about overeating the other day but when you have a certain situation so for example you um feel bad about your body your thoughts are either like i hate my body it's fat or you can reframe it and say i'm learning to love my body or my body allowed me to um, move today or something that's kind because when you feel when you have these negative thoughts you're more likely to feel ashamed and then you're more likely to feel worse about your body whereas if you reframe it just like you like we're talking about here you can say well I'm learning to love my body and and you don't feel shame you don't feel guilt and therefore you're not more you're less likely to then exacerbate that cycle so really focusing on reframing and Anna's done quite a few posts actually on reframing like examples so they're always they're definitely worth looking at I think as well, like something that I do, I started doing about a year ago, is every night when I go to bed, I say every night, most nights when I go to bed, if I, like sometimes I forget, is say thanks to my body. Or if I do something like I go for a hike, I'll say thanks to it. And I, sometimes I do it out loud, and sometimes I do it in my head, but I actively practice gratitude and say to it. And I think, I think treating your body like it's a friend rather than like, the way that if a really good way to think about it is like you are you right you're the person the soul inside your body and then your body is your body they look the same but they're two separate things your body is literally just here to give you give your soul the gift of walking around and doing all these things in life and that's so it's giving you the best gift of anything the end i mean pretty much the best gift apart from your mum um, and i suppose your dad um so we owe it we owe our body to, to be grateful for it every day and so actively practicing that even if it's like, I don't know, even if it was like, I'm like, oh, like one time I had sex in 2019. But, <laughs> you know, when like anything that you feel really like my body's allowed me to do that, like, say thank you for it. And once you start becoming more grateful for it, you feel you almost feel guilty. Like 
picking it apart because it becomes like your friend but that obviously takes work and it's quite idealized and you feel like an idiot when you're like thanks buddy but no nah, I don't care <laughs> no I'm 100% on board with that today like this is a, a really timely example so I did some yoga this evening it's like how I signal the end of my working day and that's like my relaxation and um there was nothing wrong with the session like I was a bit wobbly as always but I lay down um the best bit is always the savasana at the end so I think I have it set for two or three minutes that I can lie there and the first minute is easy and then the second minute my brain started to go into overdrive of uh, just just any of the bad thoughts that I've had today in this last couple of weeks um and I literally managed to stop myself and I was just like uh-uh no and I turned it around and I just talked to myself about the session. I was like, okay, we, we did really well today. And I, and I spoke to different parts of my body. I was like, back, we did some good wrists. I love that. <laughs> you, you're really hurting, you must have worked hard. <laughs> and by the end of that like second or third minute, I was really chilled out again. Um, oh. And it, like, it sounds really, really silly saying it out loud, but it was in my head, so it was fine. No one else knew it was happening. Yeah. Um, but like the difference it made to my mood um, and to that session as well, just, yeah. That's so good. And that's, <laughs> that, like, Shavasa is such a good time to do that. When I, there was a yoga class I went to when I was in Dubai and she, one of the teachers was fantastic with that. And um, she, you would do Shavasana and then you would, before you do your namaste, she would um, say, you know, say thank you to your body, say thank you to the earth for like, for us being here. And there were certain things that she'd run through and and you do, and, you, and you're when you're really in it, especially after yoga, when you feel quite chill, um, it can be really, really effective. I think I love that. So anyone that does yoga, start incorporating that into your um, shavasana. Yeah, talk oh. to yourself more. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I do think I encourage so many people to talk to themselves. Like, I'm like, right, what, you know, for example, am I hungry for this? I'm like, no, you don't do this in your head. You say this out loud. Am I hungry for this? What am I feeling? Thank you, body. I'm grateful for this. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> it worked. You're so much more accountable to yourself when you say it out loud. And I mean, I obviously live on my own, so I've got only myself to judge me but <laughs> even when I used to be in the lab like when I was doing my PhD everyone would talk to themselves in the lab like it, it was like a scientist like right of passage so now I'm just like I'm a scientist it's not my fault it's just <laughs> nature um but yeah I like that a lot okay next question okay have you any suggestions for improving self-belief Good question. We're just, uh, we're both just having a little think for a second. Um, are there any questions for improving self-belief? A lot of, okay, let's just go off on one, I think. I think self-belief, I'd say, and you can see, you, you can see your story as well, I think, but like, so I didn't always have self-belief at all. I'm naturally, really, naturally, really shy. Um, and I don't have, I don't have self-belief in terms of certain things in my life, like work is fine and all that stuff is fine but there are probably certain parts of my life that I maybe don't so it does happen so to be honest I think the best way to move through self-belief is to actually perform what it is that you don't have the belief in yourself for and give yourself the evidence that says I can do this so for example if I have poor self-belief around dating then I will um go on a date I mean again 2019 I would go on a date um but 
you have to, and it's uncomfortable, but the only way you know that you can do something is by providing the evidence for it. And if you don't have the opportunity to, to get the evidence at the time, you can say, say, for example, it's kind of like what we talk about when we talk about limiting beliefs, it's the kind of opposite. So if you don't have a self-belief, you've probably got a limiting belief. So in a dating situation, it would be, um, I'm crap at dates. And that would be the, the limiting belief that I have. Or I don't, this is an example. Maybe I'll move a little bit, but not really. Um, so then a good thing to do is like get uh, your journal or a notepad and then fold it into like, I'm trying to work out how this works. Fold it into three columns. So in the left-hand column, you'll have your limiting belief. So I'm no good at dates or um, I'm not good enough to have this job, whatever it is. And in the middle column, write a list of all the evidence for that statement. So this one time I went on a date and he didn't go on another date with me. That's not evidence. That just says that that wasn't right. Or this one time I went on a date and I, I don't know, got drunk and vomited on him. That's maybe a little bit of evidence. Then on the then on the column next to it, do all the things that are like evidence that your your limiting belief is wrong. So things like I've been on, I've had multiple successful relationships or um, this person wanted a second date with me, but I didn't want a second date. You know, really, this is a really trivial example here, but that's the kind of best way to do it because the, the lack of self-belief usually comes from a predominance of limiting beliefs. And so working through them, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I'm a list person. I do, I love a list. Um, I find for me with things like that, journaling can be really helpful because I can kind of it's back to talking to myself again I can have that conversation but I can have it on paper and I can check it <laughs> and I can pull <laughs> things out and I can change it and I can draw little lines around um but it'll be the same thing like this is what I think this is what I feel about myself and then I'll ask myself like why do I think that so I suppose that's the is there any evidence for it and then I'll be like okay but it's not true because and then I'll list yeah. the reasons why not um it's probably just more of a a convoluted way of listing things just having a, a written conversation um but yeah I think that's really helpful and you can come back to that as well like if you're doubting yourself you can come back to that list and prove yourself wrong again <laughs> yeah absolutely that and that's the thing like like you said it's just it's just thoughts it's not like it's not, thoughts, not fact but it's about working through those facts uh, those thoughts sorry and showing that they're not facts so that you can reframe it and you can restructure it in a way that is helpful you can also look at like where it's come from so for example I'm trying to think of an example here say you have quote uh, you don't have belief in your ability to to be healthy let's go with that I'm going to try and make this applicable here your where has that core belief come from that's come from something in your past that said that you're you are unable to do this and it could be something really trivial that happened when you were 12 years old and someone made a comment that said like either about your weight or about your fitness or something that stuck with you and it's and you internalized that and felt that that was like you basically what we call that as like an interjected condition of worth that says like this is who kind of like who you are um or it could be something that an ex an ex has said to you or a friend has said to you in an adult life but you internalized that at the time and you have this belief about yourself so as well as doing all this work in terms of working out if it's fact and doing journaling or writing a list try and figure out where it, come, it came from because sometimes when you figure out where it came from you feel like well actually 
I do remember that time that my dad said this to me like when I was when I was 16 my dad was like you should probably start going to the gym and I remember that like I, I internalized that massively and oh, lo and behold look at my job you know like this is so thanks dad but and he didn't mean anything by at all right this is not a criticism but I know my behavior changed 100% after that because I love my dad and I value my dad's opinion and he is like the male figure in my life right so if you can rationalize it and justify not justify but if you can rationalize it although it doesn't change the past you can go back and you can think to yourself is that again was that helpful and does that am I a child now and acting out of that place now or I'm an adult with empowerment and I can make these decisions for myself so if you come at it from both angles it can be really helpful but sometimes you don't know sometimes you it's really hard without like therapy or something to figure out those connections but it's always nice to kind of try and figure it out journaling obviously helps with that journaling is therapy it is <laughs> daily therapy yeah yeah journaling is like the little daily supplement and then therapy is like the I don't know the solid meal at the end yeah. of the week yeah <laughs> um do you have do you have any more questions are you out uh, I've got one more which is um how to stop being so worried about weight loss when getting in control of eating so this client's working on food relationship right now is the main focus um but secondary to that like fat loss is, is obviously still quite important to her as well okay common really common and I know that I just first of all would say absolute respect for focusing on your relationship with food first um yes fat loss will come absolutely will come but I, I wish that more people would say I'm going to work my relationship with food that's really important and this is going to set you up for long-term success and health and fat loss if that's what you want so that's first of all props um now I've, no, I've lost my train of thought okay yeah I remember now a good thing to do is think about how much time you spend thinking about your body and think about food um so there's a um if you if you for example draw a pie chart draw a pie chart on a bit of paper and it, it says this is how much of my day how, how much of my energy I spend on food and body preoccupation right now that might be something like probably about half my day I spend thinking about that either planning food thinking about what I've eaten thinking about fat loss thinking about scale weight etc etc and then think about every other thing that you've got in your life family relationships um love career hobbies whatever it is that you like to do how much you have all these other sections and fill the rest of that pie chart pie chart in with those things so maybe family will have an eighth job will have an eighth etc and then draw another pie chart that says this is what I would really like my pie chart to look like maybe you would like to spend an eighth of your day thinking about food and body and then you would like to spend I don't know 35 percent of your day thinking about your job and then maybe you'd like to spend 35 percent of your job 35 percent of your energy thinking about relationships and then fill in the pie chart so you can see the difference right so you can see where where you're at now and where you'd like it to be and then write some goals that say okay in order to stop being so obsessed with fat loss right now whilst I focus on this I'm going to set all of these other tangible goals that might be things like um I'm going to apply for three new jobs in the next three months or I'm going to speak to my mum on the phone twice a week without fail 
And so by doing these things, what you're doing is you're increasing the proportion of the other things and inherently pushing down the other proportion of food and body so that they become less, less of a priority to you. So that whilst whatever's going on with your body weight at this point or your, your body fat levels at this point, you're not obsessed about them so much because you've got all of these other goals and, and you're focusing on all of these other things. Um, that can be a really helpful way just just almost just let that, what's what I'm looking for? It's not an obsession, but where you can just kind of let that idealize, like thinking about scale weight all the time. We're thinking about that goal all the time. We can let that go. Um, what would you say? Uh, pretty much the same, I think, you know, so yeah, <laughs> just take that preoccupation away um, by focusing on the other parts of your life that are important that you would like to spend more of your, your time and effort on. Yeah, and make it, like, quantifiable, like we said, have some goals that you can tick off. Um, often, especially, this is the same as, like, when people remove track and they, they like to have things to tick off, and that's one of the things they miss when they stop tracking, mm-hmm. but you can, you can still quantify other aspects of health you can quantify for example how many pieces of fruit and vegetables you eat a day that's quantifiable and tick offable you can't quantify um how many phone calls you'd make with your mom a week like these are all things that you can tick off and they're still achievements because when we look at health we're thinking about body fat is not what we it's not an aspect of health um healthy behaviors is an aspect of health and yes body fat is related to health to a certain degree but um health is things like spiritual health financial health relationship health um, physical health mental health these are all aspects of health fat loss is probably like a small percentage of that physical mental health for people who are in larger bodies who do want to drop body fat for their health that's Mm -hmm. that's that's not everyone um there's so many other aspects that you can you can set written goals for and again journaling is great for this and tick them off and you know when you're working with us like we set habits every week and our habits for some people might be things like for your mum once a week that can be a habit you know they can these types of process-based goals and habits are will focus on all types of health that's why we set things like meditation targets that's focused on your spiritual and your mental health so they're all quantifiable it's just um um figuring out how you can quantify it if you want to quantify it and then obviously, of course, things like the body checking stuff that we've already spoken about will be really, really helpful here. And the, the body appreciation and focusing on being grateful for your body. These things are all really important in this situation. I think I think everyone should do those things anyway. Everyone should be going to bed thanking their body. <laughs> um, or doing Shavasana and thanking their body. I generally do thank my body after yoga because I just think, my God, I, do you know what I like how long have you been doing yoga for mm, consistently only since October but before lockdown came in I think I was probably doing it like two or three times a month okay okay so, okay, so still more consistently than me but I like I don't know about you but I genuinely after I finish yoga now I'm like you know when you just feel completely not relaxed but you just feel like your body's expanded in a kind of relaxed way like your muscles everything just feels more free and supple shall we say and I am not supple I'm using that as a relative term let's be honest but I I genuinely feel bad for my body that I've not given it that for for so many years like I genuinely then but I'm like I'm I'm so sorry that I let you sit in a crumpled heap for (laughs) 33 years of your, your life like 
I was literally a crumpled heap. I think in the weight trainer and then sitting in a crumpled heap again was helping my body. And not, not everyone has to do yoga. Everyone can do mobility or stretch it in their own way. But the difference that it makes in terms of just how you feel about your body is huge in terms of just feel really grateful for it and also apologetic if you're like me. I find with yoga, I always feel like afterwards my shoulders are where they're supposed to be like during the day and over the weeks they kind of get a bit crunchy and a little bit like hunched up and I feel after yoga like they're where they're meant to be and my spine is where it's supposed to be and my hips feel good and yeah yeah amazing feeling like when you start a yoga session this happened to me today because I only do it like every other day max but when you roll your shoulders and it's just like and you're just saying what would this have done if I wasn't doing this this would have just been like I would have been like the person from the Adams family. I'm, I'm thinking of the bald guy, Uncle Fester. <laughs> I don't know why he's the one that came into my head. Anyway. Um, okay. Thoughts on red meat in general, as well as processed meat, such as ham bacon, turkey slices, turkey bacon, etc. Do you have any thoughts on it? Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts would be grim compared to toys. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's our initial thoughts. Um, I don't eat it. Georgia likes it. I just don't eat it because of preference, and you eat it because of preference. In terms of, in terms of health, they're fine to include within your diet, but processed foods in general are fine, but they're easy to overeat on for a lot of people and they tend to potentially be less micronutrient dense. So they're completely fine to include in your diet, but if you're looking at an inclusive diet, you want to make sure that they form not the predominance of your diet. And with red meat, so my thoughts on red meat, in terms of health, okay, so if we're talking about, hold on, I'm just looking at the example she gave, it's kind of making me feel queasy because I'm like, I'm not vegetarian, but I was brought up vegetarian. And so now I'm pretty much vegetarian but occasionally I'll eat chicken. That's my, my nutritional stance. Um, in terms of for your health, like a couple of servings of, like reducing your red meat consumption if you're eating red meat every day is probably going to be helpful in terms of your metabolic health and cardiovascular health. But you don't have to completely exclude it. That's if you are like consuming things like bacon and red meat every single day. Is bacon red meat? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that? Too vegetarian. Um, <laughs> but... So, so my thing with red meat is the impact that it has on the environment. Ooh, just heard a funny noise. It sounds like some sort of mouse is in my wall. Um, it has a huge impact on the environment. And so when I talk about reducing red meat consumption, I think that that's helpful. Well, I know that that's helpful for the environment. And we're taking an inclusive approach to nutrition, right? We don't say exclude anything. And I don't think you should exclude anything. And if you enjoy red meat, I certainly don't think you should ex- exclude it at all. But I think a couple of times a week in terms of health and the environment is generally if I was looking at a very holistic way of supporting your health and supporting the environment, that's probably what I would recommend. Um, But that's kind of a culmination of various bits of evidence and my own personal opinion. That's not um, a scientific quantity per se that all the research says that you should consume. So I would like to make that part clear. Um, Yeah. I've got a very I've got I think you have a really clear bias if you like red meat as well you have a very clear bias and if you if you're inherently veggie you have a very clear bias I'm not like my mum was a vegetarian and my sister and I were raised as vegetarians 
um but occasionally we'd get a tin of like you know the baked beans with the little sausages in them oh, yeah <laughs> so as an adult like I didn't know how to cook meat because I'd never eaten it um I grew into chicken kind of like at university but red meat I've actually only eaten in the last couple of years it's mm-hmm. very occasional but I do really enjoy it but I go through phases where I really struggle with the texture of meat because I remember like this is a dead being um, and I get I'm not I'm not a vegan by any like stretch obviously you know like I, I don't have dairy purely because it I can't like it's an intolerance um otherwise I would happily eat yogurt and cheesecake um but yeah like I struggle sometimes with meat because I'm like oh this chicken had dreams and it might have had little friends and had a little life and had a favorite a favorite food <laughs> yeah I get a bit emotional about it um but when I can disconnect from that I really enjoy a steak yeah um, <laughs> but it's not often yeah George is gonna have vegan warrior in her Instagram bio by tomorrow yeah, um, and also <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but your red meat is fine it, it, processed meats limit your consumption of processed meats there um but again don't exclude them having bacon a bacon roll like every week is, is fine um we don't have specific numbers i can absolutely give specific numbers if they are required from the research but it's just not off the top of my head because some things i just don't remember in some of my head okay changing topic completely um so this person got um went out the other day and was catcalled and also experienced some vile um comments from young men um about her body um it made her she said this ruined me today and when this happened I obsess about it especially as I don't feel in a position to respond in the moment in terms of comments and judgments real or perceived about your body in the street positive or especially negative do you have any advice for finding peace and moving on without it bringing you down Hmm. obviously i've spoken to this person about it and it was a vile situation and i'm obviously sorry that that she had to go through that and again like flipping it back to what we were talking about at the beginning these types of microaggressions, whether they're intentional or not, in terms of commenting and telling women their bodies are okay to look at, even if it's in a quote-unquote good way, is still a microaggression towards our bodies as being public property and they have to be commented on. And so like, I think this type of situation highlights why we need to be holding people accountable for that, or at least have an open dialogue about stuff like this, because it does just exacerbate the problem, because people who catcall genuinely feel that they have a right to do that because you are in their public space and you're public and although they're not thinking your body is public they they don't think that your body is not there to be commented on or they think that your body is there to be commented on um and that makes me mad um so how do you uh, do you have any advice for bringing for finding peace and moving on without bringing it down do you know what i completely understand and it's very, I, it's only in the last year that I think I would feel confident enough to say to somebody, I mean, I don't see anyone anymore, but if I am in the street, if someone says to me, smile, or someone says something to me, um, positive or negative, it's only now that I think I have the, the confidence to say, 
something to them. So I would never say to someone, I think you should speak to them. I do think sometimes it can be helpful to have like a, a line in your head that is, um, does kind of help you with that. Like one of my friends um, that I met years ago, she put something on Instagram the other week about how the doorman in her building kept making comments or kept looking her up and down every time she came into her building and she filmed it and she said to him she said you know when you do this it makes me feel really uncomfortable can you not do it and then he never did it again she was really clear with him and that takes a lot of confidence to do that um and that's a specific situation when you see someone all the time I think when it's a negative thing in the street this is really hard right because if you're coming at it from a place of saying women need to act to be safe then you would be saying don't say anything to these men if they're saying something nice or horrible because you don't want to put yourself in an unsafe situation and that makes me angry that I even have to say that we should not have to say that but I would never say to someone to if a man said something nasty about me in the street or about someone in the street I would never say go and speak to them because you have no idea what they could do and that's really sad that that's where we're at but that is I think where we're at um sometimes it can be helpful yeah to have something that you would say back so whether that be a foul word or that I won't say on here or whether that be um more calm that says like I don't know it could be really calm and be like don't come on my body like my body's not here for you that's quite a clear one like my body's not here for you works in all situations but nice or horrible um and even if it's nice even if it's someone that's saying something nice and you say my body's not here for you like you don't need to apologize and say well thanks so much for being kind but my body's not here for you like no their body is not here to be commented on um so having them like that to say can be helpful I think in terms of like moving past it if you don't want to say something to someone I think that can be really tough I mean get home and get it out on paper and journal on it and then let it go meditate on it also really helpful and I know that's an answer to so much of what we say but like it can, they can both be really really helpful um what are your thoughts hmm. it, yeah it's a tough one because you I agree you don't want to be in a dangerous situation because if you don't know these people approaching them could be you know a, a really poor choice um equally it, it annoys me that you even have to have a line in your head that you could say back because guys certainly do not walk down the street with a line in their head of what they'll say to you if you ever say if you walk past them and oh if she says it back though this is what I'll say like that's not a thought that even goes through the heads of the people that do you know catcall mm. um so honestly that that triggers me quite a lot as it goes <laughs> Um, but the thing is you potentially can't resolve it with that individual you can't necessarily have a conversation um, like you said it's different when it's somebody that you know I've definitely had these conversations at work um, and trust me that that works that that puts an end to it um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously kindly um, <sighs> it's hard but, isn't it yeah it's it's like it's what when you go home like what can you you can't do anything about that specific situation or that specific conversation 
but what can you do for the men around you that maybe need to know about this and how this made you feel and how you wanted to react but how you were afraid to react and make it an opportunity potentially to have some open conversations with for want of a better phrase safe men in your life that you can have that conversation with who can potentially learn from that and either change their own behavior should they ever need to or influence or call out the behavior of other men that they're friends with when they see this behavior coming up in them Mm. that is probably the most positive thing I can think that can come out of it um I think that's such a such a good idea because often as well like you feel bad because you can't take action and that will you get the benefit their self like of the benefit of feeling like you're taking action against it but also you're actually doing something that could potentially support other women I think that's great and yes it's not our responsibility to educate people but um I think that's such a good idea and I think as well like it's really easy for me to say this but people like it's so easy for me to say this and it's why I never really talk talk like this but people like that they are so beneath you in terms of their mentality at this point that they're not even worth being in your head and there's a Brittany Brown like one of her books uh, Rising Strong or Doing Greatly one of them and she talks about like you know she will only give time to people that are in the arena with her if you're not in the arena like fighting to be your best self then your opinion doesn't matter to me your judgment doesn't matter to me because you're not up here doing the work and people like that they're not here doing the work they are in like the back seats commenting and judging and shouting and they're a waste of space in terms of at the, where they're at in their lives right now I do believe try and think that most people are inherently good in some way um but their actions right now are putting them at the back and I think that's a really nice way to think about it in terms of who you give your time and your energy to if there are people in the arena fighting to be their best selves great like care about their opinions but anyone else is just their opinion not themselves their opinion is trash and it's not relevant to you but again so easy to say that and it's not it's not a clear step-by-step plan but it's a fact of life and some people judge because therefore they're in really sad places themselves and it's always helpful to think about that too um okay what's the list again so this was an interesting one discussion that I had with one somebody, um, but she's put it here on the podcast. Last question because I can't even get my words out. Um, okay, so I have a fear of fe- of the feeling of hunger, especially hunger in the evening, um, or having to go to bed hungry. So I tend to save the majority of my calories for later in the day, so I can have a big dinner and then snack before bed, even if I'm really full from dinner. How can I improve this behaviour, and where does it come from? So I'm going to go first just because we spoke about it and we got we had a nice chat about it. Um, it's quite common in terms of if you've been dieting for a while, you backload your calories and you'll have seen that and with yourself maybe and with clients for sure. Um, but I think sometimes the fear of being hungry and we actually did identify something here. Sometimes the fear of being hungry is uh, an association from when you were young. And so a lot of our food relationships come from when we were young. So for example, if the food was scarce when we were young, 
that might impact how we eat now. Um, if food was used as reward, that will impact how we eat now. And what we were talking about together was, um, I said, you know, was there a time when you were younger at all, even trivial, where you went without food in terms of not an intentional act from your parents, but was there even an association somewhere that you can remember that you went without food um, and you were hungry and it was it was really uncomfortable. And she did, she identified a time, she got back to me and she said, I, I remember this one time when I was at a family's house and I'm going to tell the details, but she was at a family's house and um, for specific reasons, her and her sister didn't get to eat with the rest of the family and they had, they had to wait and then eat later. And she said, and I remember being really, really, really like starving and my parents being really mad that we didn't get to eat. And she remembers that moment. And I think it's really, and I, I'm not a qualified therapist yet. Um, and I'm not here to make diagnosis of these things, but sometimes I think these types of fears of being hungry or fear of being full can sometimes come from these things. The fear of being full often comes if you're used to binge and you get scared to then eat to fullness because you're scared, you associate it with binging. But it's the same sort of thing with hunger. You might associate you might associate being hungry with that time that it was really traumatic at that time um, in your childhood. And so you just you just don't let yourself get hungry again. And again, it's coming back to what we were talking about before, where you can't change the past, but if you can be aware of it, you can say, okay, well, is that true now? Like, is that going to happen to me if I let myself get a little bit hungry now? Um, no, because I'm an adult and I can take these actions. And this is obviously someone who is dieting, you know, this is not um, improved relationship with food, so to speak, uh, it is, but there's there's battles going on here too. So um, I think that's a good way to look at it, like deeper than the surface level of, it's a really common side effect of dieting because it's when most people fear that they're going to eat, overeat. So they just, and they're busy in the day, right? So they just go really busy all day, eat minimal. And then at night they allow themselves to eat everything else because they've got time to sit down with their families, etc., which is fine. But if you're not dieting, then you need to call yourself out on those behaviours. I've definitely done that in the past. And you're um, almost like proving yourself right by not eating during the day and then getting starving at night and then feeling that you have to eat that much to fill up. And then because it worked that day, you're kind of like teaching yourself that you need to do the same thing the next day as well. Um, and that can make it harder, I think, to get out of that routine. Yeah, for sure. And especially if you're someone who, like if you overeat or just eat more than usual at night, you find it really hard often to then eat enough the next morning like one of the hardest things I think if you've got somebody as well who's overeating or binge eating I think that's one of the hardest habits to get into is to regardless of what you've eaten you keep eating every three hours overnight in the morning I don't mean three hours overnight I mean eat at night and then eat in the morning again when you wake up <laughs> um but you're right it can be really it's a hard cycle to break out of but I was I was talking to Emma about this recently like do you remember the phase of carbohydrate backloading do you yeah. remember that there's like a big thing. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> oh my God, carbohydrate backloading basically was like, oh yeah, you should train at you should train at dinner time and then eat like, I don't know, eighty percent of your carbohydrates at night after you've trained because you're more insulin sensitive and you are more likely to gain muscle and and minimize fat gain. It's, it's rubbish. Anyone thinking, oh, let me try that. It's rubbish. <laughs> um. But I definitely did that. 
you're just hungry all day and then you're like nighttime's fun but realistically I think it's just especially if you've got an overeater binge mentality that type of thing intermittent fasting carbohydrate backloading these types of things are just other ways to hide behind a diet strategy or a nutrition strategy that's just exactly the same as what you've been doing but you've just given it a name Mm. which I definitely did that too in the past and if someone moves away from training and they're used to just having a huge huge meal at night without that training they're going to feel incredibly guilty about that as well and that habit's going to be harder to break yep yep it's also connected um okay I think we'll stop there because like I said I cannot get my words out um but thanks everyone for your questions and keep them coming to whoever your coach is um make sure you put them in your updates and there are a couple lives to watch too but we will do them on the next one and thanks Georgia thank you